This podcast is produced and copyrighted by 83 Bar Incorporated. It is designed as a general informational resource, and neither the sponsors nor guests are rendering any professional or medical advice. The opinions and claims presented by the guests are their own. Any trademarks used are the property of their respective owners. Welcome to The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey. We're joined by Dr. Mark Pimentel with Cedars-Sinai and by Matt Mitchell, CEO of Jamelli Biotech. We learn what they hear from the patients they serve and how their innovations will improve the patient's journey. So there's a great opportunity to really educate patients and then through the patients, educate the physicians. And then on the flip side, educate the physicians to enable the patients. And I think we're trying to do both because it's important. Patients were dismissed in many ways because the education wasn't out there and we now have better tools to give patients a positive diagnosis, which will allow them to find resolution more quickly. Produced by 83 Bar Incorporated. Here's your host, best-selling author, Mark Stinson. Hello again, friends, and welcome back to one of the first episodes of our new podcast, The Patients Speak. We're combining the business and science aspects of innovation with the patient voice and what the opportunities are to incorporate more of the patient experience into our strategies. And today we're so happy to talk to two experts in bringing that research from the bench to the market. We're joined by Dr. Mark Pimentel. He's executive director of the MAST program at Cedars-Sinai, and MAST is Medically Associated Science and Technology and by Matt Mitchell. He's the CEO of Jamelli Biotech. And Mark is also a co-founder and a member of the scientific advisory at Jamelli. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. It's good to be here. Thanks for having us. And I guess as we think about this idea of bringing the research from the bench, Dr. Pimentel, this is your sweet spot. To think about the patient, I was wondering, in addition to the clinical and the research and sort of the technology assessment, how do you incorporate the patient voice into that assessment. So you're speaking basically music to my ears because the patient voice is what drives everything that I do. You know, one of the things I say, and and maybe this has become cliche for me, is diarrhea is not a treatment for constipation and constipation is not a treatment for diarrhea. In other words, the industry, you know, if you have a diarrhea patient, they want to make it stop, but they always overshoot because it'll hit their targets for the FDA easier and the other way, uh, flip it around and it's the same thing. I'm in clinic. I see the patients. You know, I'm giving them a drug. They get diarrhea. Yeah, the constipation's gone. So when I see these patients and I see that there are tremendous unmet needs despite the meeting of needs with things that don't quite fit, you know, I, I think that's what resonates with me and with the patients is that I need to find things for patients that are going to work to get them normal, not to make them go in the opposite direction, if you know what I mean. And I think that's what we've tried to do over the last 29 years or 26 years here at Cedar sinai and, and the research I've done and, and hopefully made some impact. And thinking about that clinic side, I mean, it's good that you're still on the sort of front lines, as we like to say, talking eye to eye with the patients. But in a system like Cedars-Sinai, how do we aggregate, sort of collate, translate all this patient experience? So it's not just one-offs. You know, I saw a patient today, but in totality, how do we bring all that together? Well, first of all, you know, as a clinician, you treat patients with what you have. As a clinician scientist, you have to think around the patient 
and outside the box because the box is the list of prescriptions you have the options for. So you have a menu of things you could give the patient. But what if that menu extended to, hey, what about this idea? What about that idea? That's never been tried. And I think that requires that clinician scientist. And then, of course, as you, as you probably well know, volume. You know, one-off patients is one-off patients. It's anecdotal medicine. But as you continue to see volume and volume and volume of patients, you start to see patterns and how they respond to things that nobody expected. Then you got to shift. Then you got to go to a clinical trial. And I remember the first time we tested an antibiotic for IBS, if we get into that, you know, we were giving antibiotics in the clinic and it was working amazing for irritable bowel syndrome. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's anecdotal medicine. You got to go to the clinical trial. And then we did the double-blind clinical trial. And then we did another double-blind clinical trial. And to be honest with you, my ulcer about whether one trial would fail never went away till 2011, till we did the New England Journal of Medicine paper on Rifaximin, because I always worried that it could fail. Maybe I'm wrong. It could fail. Because you got to attack it from five different ways and, and, and keep going, because the science has to always stack up yes, 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 yes. And that's a very long and dedicated process. Yeah, for sure. Well, Matt, let's bring you into this conversation because certainly as you all were founding Jamelli Biotech, you had to see a business opportunity, a market opportunity for sure. Plenty of science behind that assessment. But what about the patient opportunity? What was the patient need that you were all seeing? Absolutely. So maybe I'll take a quick step back and I met Dr. Pimentel in 2009, and it's been the professional honor of a lifetime to work with him since 2009 to bring his science, his innovations to the market, uh, initially with Zyvaxin, which is Rifaximin uh, for irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, we prepared that for uh, commercialization. And now, since 2018, we've been working together as founders of Jamelli Biotech, bringing TrioSmart, which is a SIBO breath test or a breath test that identifies gases that are associated with SIBO, hydrogen, methane, and hydrogen sulfide to market, as well as IBS Smart, which is uh, a blood test that measures two antibodies elevated in folks that had previous event of food poisoning or you know identifying post-infectious IBS, IBSD specifically. So the patient opportunity is there. There are tens of millions of people in the U.S. that suffer from these conditions, both IBS, SIBO. EMO, which we'll get into down the road here. In addition to that, there's recent data showing that 75% of IBS patients don't have a definitive diagnosis, which is just mind-numbing to me. In the last couple of years, we've done tens of thousands of these tests in patients and have been a small part in helping them get answers. And those answers eventually get them to either a dietary or therapeutic intervention to hopefully help them feel better. And thinking about what they needed. In other words, when you were able to hear and speak to patients one-to-one, again, you can read it in the market reports. You can see every introduction to every paper says it's a big unmet need, but to really hear their stories, that had to be impactful. IBS in the 1990s was, it's in your head. It's a psychological problem. You need to go see a therapist or you need to be on an antidepressant. And that was the rote for the 1990s. Again, thinking within a box, and not expanding. What we've done over 20 years is said, no, IBS is a microbiome disease, antibiotics work, but more importantly, 
This blood test and this connection to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth as a cause of IBS is revolutionary for these patients because for the first time we're saying IBS is not a functional disorder, it's an organic disease. We have a positive test, a blood test that says you have IBS and that makes it organic. And for patients who've gone around the block, 10, 20,000 in copays, getting colonoscopy over and over and over again, seeing another gastroenterologist with no answer, and three days later a blood test says, no, I'm sorry, you have IBS, you could have done that at the beginning, and put your mind at ease, and yes, there's therapies for it, and we can move on. And, you know, that is a big deal. Not to mention, one other thing, is it saves healthcare dollars. The sooner you make a diagnosis for a disease, the cheaper the entire disease space becomes because you can focus in on the patient rather than more investigation, more investigation, more investigation. So it helps the patient be more comfortable with their disease and that it's real and it's not in their head. It helps their pocketbook. It helps the health insurance. And of course, it helps the clinicians decide how to treat. So that, these are all win-wins on both sides of the equation. And Matt, obviously, there's a inclusion exclusion kind of uh, indication and criteria but then there is also that patient motivation and, and resilience as dr pemetel you described years go by all these visits go by how do you connect with this patient motivation to say after all these other things you've tried there is this one test i think that's the great part about working with mark and the team at the mast program dr mathor dr Razai is their ability to compassionately listen to their patient population and then develop innovative tools that help them get to resolu resolution more quickly. So, you know, I'm slightly biased here. There was data published years ago, maybe 10 years ago, showing that it takes 6.6 .6 years to get to an IBS diagnosis. That's just mind numbing. Now we have better tools, you know, based on their work and the Jamelli team being able to commercialize these tools that have allowed us to really change the game so that people are thinking about IBS as a positive diagnostic strategy rather than a catch-all of, hey, you don't have this, you don't have that, you have IBS. Well, you know, I don't think that's fair to the patient to tell them what they don't have. What we're trying to accomplish is to work with the patient, with the providers to tell them what they do have. And certainly, uh, Dr. Pimentel, you know this from being, again, in the clinic, but if I could bring the one patient opinion in, and that is, you know, well, I only get seven minutes with the doctor. I only, I don't feel that heard necessarily. It's hard to get an appointment with a specialist. I could wait weeks to find the right one who really does listen to me. How do we overcome some of these other uh, more systemic challenges in the pathway? See, that's the beauty of the tests. So the, first of all, my new patient, one hour. So just to put that in the context of the seven-minute primary care visit. But the seven-minute primary care visit is patient comes in and says, I think I have IBS. The primary care sinks in their seat going, uh-oh, this is going to be a long one. You know, and, and what, and, and, and to be fair to primary care, they see a lot of patients. But, uh, you know, what gets patients out the door, so to speak, and not, not to be crass, is a prescription or a blood test or some kind of event. <clears throat> so as soon as the doctor puts pen to paper in that room, things are moving to the transition to get the patient home. And, and, and so having a blood test 
I mean, it takes the onus off the doctor to go through an hour when they only have seven minutes and, and the patient gets a conclusive diagnosis. So again, this is the win-win scenario of this is that you can make the diagnosis without some of the cumbersome time things that I'm required to do in my practice. But yeah, this, this will help physicians get to those answers more quickly in that rapid fire environment. And Matt, what are you seeing as a response to some of the patients you know, when they hear, well, there is one more test, there's something new and different you can try. We were just in Philadelphia a few weeks ago at a motility conference, and I was able to speak with a lot of key opinion leaders in the motility space, and a lot of them do in-house breath testing. So they have a breath testing machine in-house. They see patients to you know, sit in their office for a couple of hours and run a breath test. They have a six, many of them said that they have a six to nine month backlog of patients that they can't get to. And this is exactly why we are doing what we're doing. This model of a physician orders our TrioSmart breath test. We mail the kit to the patient's home. They collect the specimen or the, the breath sample at home and mail it to our central lab for processing where we can get them an answer within four days. That is a much better strategy than waiting six to nine months to, to go sit in an office that you're not quite sure if you're even going to be able to get there. Exactly. And as Mark mentioned, you know, we also have the blood test, which is a very definitive diagnostic strategy for folks that have been suffering for years. You know, just grateful for the opportunity to, to, to have these assets to share with patients. I think the other part of your question is, you know, when you ask the question, you say, well, just another test. That's not how we think of it. Don't do the other tests. You only need to do this test. So it, in, the, in the algorithm, so for example, if you have a 25-year-old woman with what seems like irritable bowel syndrome, why are you sending her for a colonoscopy? There's nothing going to be found there. She doesn't have blood in the stool. If the blood test is, this blood test we're talking about is positive or the breath test is positive, you already know your answer. So you don't need anything more. So I think, yeah, for those who've already gone around the block, this will be helpful. But for those who haven't started this journey, this is even more helpful because it will prevent all that unnecessary, um, you know, morbidity of colonoscopies. That's a good so point. And like many categories, you're, you're speaking to a patient education, patient empowerment kind of thing. Because let's face it, if I'm in the doctor's office, my natural tendency is to defer. I even feel like myself. I'm a pretty educated patient, but when you're in the gown on the chair, on the chair, you know, you're just going to say, what, what I got, doctor, you tell me what to do. Uh, so how does the patient learn how to speak up? What can we say to them? Well, that's the remarkable thing about irritable bowel syndrome until now is that patients come to my office and they, they tell me they did this, they did this, they did this, they, they looked on the internet, they found this, and they are empowered. They are so empowered that they find it refreshing that I say, look, stop, I'm taking over because I know what to do. And, and because their doctors didn't know what to do. Their doctors have been floundering with them for three years. And I said, no, no, I'm in charge. And they go, they take a deep breath and they go, really? That's awesome. You know, because they can't believe somebody knows what to do with their case because they haven't experienced that with a clinician for a long time. And so if you have a rash, you go to the doctor, they know what it is. But in, in the case of IBS, they always don't know what it is. And, and having a test to say, no, we do know what it is now, changes, flips the patient's switch to, okay, I'm not the doctor anymore, my doctor's mm -hmm. the doctor. 
Uh, and that's also very a, a good yes. thing for patients. And Matt, there's a lot of other executives and managers in, in your seat listening to our show who say, we've just got to keep our people, our company, our reps, our educators grounded in the patient voice. What, what else are you doing to stay? Can you mentioned a conference, for example. What else are you doing to keep your, your team indoctrinated with the patient voice? I, I appreciate that question very much because I think there's a lot of in, inauthentic leadership in the world. Um, well, certainly every website says we're a patient-centric <laughs> company. So. <laughs> and that's where I'm going, Mark. So, you know, saying it, doing it are two different things. You know, I can tell you I'm a great guy, but uh, if my behavior does not show that I am somebody that puts other people first, then it's hard to believe that. And that's what we that's what we try to do by being patient centric, not saying it on every piece of collateral, but making sure that the culture that we've created within the organization focuses on the patient, focuses on uh, getting the patient an answer, focuses on the parts that we can control, white glove service, um, accurate results. We do not have the luxury of missing. Every time we run a test, it's somebody that is waiting on the other end to get a very specific, very accurate answer that, so that they can do something to make themselves feel better or work with their clinician to make themselves feel better. Well, Dr. Pimentel, as we uh, kind of round the corner in our conversation, we must look forward. You've got a crow's nest view of what's coming. So yes, we have our current challenges and we need to shorten that 6.6 .6 years for sure. But you're also seeing new science, new technology. What's on the horizon that we should be watching out for? Well, I think uh, so. The, the this new breath test, the three gas breath test, and I know that's what we're here to discuss, is really charting the new waters. So we now know that these three gases compartmentalize IBS into three different microbiomes, and we now, as of a paper that will be out next week, know exactly who the bugs are in those three buckets. And now that we know all that information, the treatment window uh, for better and new things is wide open because now we can really examine the effects of different products on those specific niches of bugs that cause that symptom in that individual. So you, call, you can call it precision medicine, or, or you can call it just, we just know more about the microbiome in IBS and get at it. And so I, that's sort of how I feel. Like we, we are getting at it. And uh, all I can tell you is we already have one product that we think is gonna be very promising for the diarrhea side on the basis of exactly what this breath test shows. So um, very excited. And patients should be excited too, because they've been waiting a long time for better and better things for IBS. And this marginalized disease from the 1990s is now front and center, the preeminent microbiome condition. Uh, and that's huge for 40 million people in the US, 1 billion people worldwide. Uh, so we're very excited. Yeah, I can see why. That's a lot of impact. And Matt, as you would think about future vision for you all, and you were just talking about your company, your people, your culture, what are some of the new different channels that you might be exploring to do a better job of outreach, you know, connecting with the patients, whether that's, you know, commercialization or whether that's that, research? That's right. So speaking of channels, we have a great team of sales professionals that call on gastroenterologists. Uh, we also do a lot of work with the naturopathic and functional medicine community. We spend a lot of resources educating patients uh, and providers 
to the three gas breath test that Mark mentioned, the differentiating gas being hydrogen sulfide, which is new to the marketplace and really just brings in more answers for more people than was available in the past. We are also exploring things like telehealth platforms that will give patients that don't have a provider greater access to tools that they may find benefit from and, you know, continuously exploring partnerships for scale. That's where we are right now. Though we've done tens of thousands of tests over the last year or so, you know, it really comes down to accessing more physicians and making them aware of what we're doing, making patients aware that they have access to these tools and can go ask their providers about them. Uh, And then making sure that we're prepared for the demand on the back end, which we are. And, you know, like I'd mentioned earlier, when we were talking about uh, being patient centric, we do not have the luxury of getting it wrong. We take great pride in scaling, but at the same time, scaling with accuracy and, you know, really premium service. Well, before we close, I'd love to take a 50,000 foot view here of our conversation and Matt, have you described for us or summarize in your own words what you think we've been talking about? You know, how does all of this really improve or accelerate the patient? Thanks for that. So I guess simply in my mind, we have gone from a place where patients were not, they were, dis, they were dismissed in many ways because the education wasn't out there and the tools weren't available and thanks to the work of Dr. Pimentel and Dr. Rezai and Dr. Mathor at the NAS program at Cedars uh, and many other folks that are key opinion leaders in the GI space, you know, we now have better tools to give folks, uh, patients, a positive di- diagnosis, which will allow them to, you know, find resolution more quickly. And, th- and that's what we're here for. And Mark, what about you? From the standpoint of, from the tens of thousands we've reached so far to the millions that need to be reached. What is the patient opportunity in all of this? Well, I think it's really important for the patient to be partner with the clinician to get this done. So I personally educate the patients. We've written a book recently to try to get out to the lay public. And the book isn't meant for advertising anything regarding the company. It's more for educating the patients because look, you've got these big academic centers in big cities. But once you get outside of the big city, things really drop off in the sense of the folks out in the rural communities really have trouble. They don't get the same kind of academic care, and maybe some of the information doesn't filter out into those communities as readily as is in the academic center. So there's a great opportunity to really educate patients, and then through the patients, educate the physicians, and then on the flip side, educate the physicians and so to enable the patients. And I think we're trying to do both because it's important because these patients already read a lot and they're empowered and it's the internet generation and, and getting the information out there to help them is, is really key. Very good. Well, can't thank you enough gentlemen uh, for this great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so Mark. You bet. Well, my guest has been Dr. Mark Pimentel, the executive director of the mass program at Cedar sinai and a practicing clinician there and Matt Mitchell, the CEO of Jamelli biotech. We've been talking about empowering the patient, improving the one-to-one conversation between patients and clinicians, but also bringing that patient voice into the companies and into the research suites. Listeners, we really appreciate you coming by. And if you're one of the early listeners, we hope you'll subscribe and follow the program to continue to get ideas and inspiration for incorporating the patient voice in your work. 
And we wanna thank 83 Bar for its sponsorship of these conversations. I'm Mark Stenson. Join me again next time for another interview with another executive and healthcare innovator and what they hear when they listen to The Patients Speak. Thanks for listening to The Patients Speak, healthcare innovations accelerating the patient journey with best-selling author Mark Stinson. Presented by 83Bar, the patient activation company. Learn how 83Bar listens, educates, and navigates patients at 83Bar.com. Our podcast is hosted on Captivate.fm, so you can listen wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Subscribe now so you won't miss an episode of The Patients Speak. This podcast is produced by BSB Media. We also host another show you might enjoy, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. It's a top-rated podcast featuring interviews with creators around the world. We help you gain the confidence and connections to launch your creative work out into the world. Look for Unlocking Your World of Creativity on your favorite podcast app.